WMQA. Hello and welcome to WMQA, the official podcast of the WMQ Comics website. I'm your host, Dan Grote. This week we're talking with Cena Grace, writer of Jughead's Time Police, out this week from Archie Comics. Cena has a few irons in the fire. He's going to be co-writing Boom's Go Go Power Rangers with Ryan Parrott starting next month. And uh, also next month, and also from Boom, he's writing Ghosted in L.A., an original series about a young woman who moves to Los Angeles and takes up residence with a bunch of ghosts that help her confront her romantic problems and generally get her life back together. Uh, we talk about all those books, his recent trip to DragCon, his working history with singer Jenny Lewis, the Spice Girls of Riverdale, and much, much more. But first, in our warm-up interview, we chat with Dave O'Hare, one of the showrunners of Garden State Comic Fest, June 29th and 30th at the Menin Arena in Morristown, New Jersey. If that con sounds familiar, it's because we're currently running a contest to give away two tickets to GSCF. All you have to do is be our 600th Twitter follower, and we'll send them to you. As of last count, we've only got 11 followers to go on the climb to 600, so click that button. Uh, meanwhile, what is going on over at WMQComics.com? Uh, you know us, staying out of trouble. Just kidding. Uh, Will Nevin's got a legal explainer up on the use of real-life tweets in the most recent issue of Images Maneaters, uh, we're celebrating Emma Frost as our X-Man of the Week. Joshua Burmount's going to have reviews for Trust Fall and Event Leviathan. And Matt Lazarus will have his weekly bonus reading column. Also, we are accepting pitches for guest contributions for our upcoming Age of X-Men series in July. You got 250 to 500 words in you on your favorite period of X-Men comics from the Silver Age to the Age of X-Men? Send them our way at wmqgrams at gmail.com. And now, without further messing around, messing around town, here are me and Matt and Cena and Dave. By the bell at some point in our uh, lives, but not the college years. No, that I one's a little think, weird for you. Yeah, I don't think anyone. <laughs> I, I held on longer than most in that, uh, in that fandom. And it's funny because, uh, like, TBS, for a while, they were just playing Side by the Bell, like, religiously at, like, 7 a.m. Back when getting up that early was something I would want to do. Uh-huh. And, uh... Fridays was always the college years, but there was only like 13 episodes, and so they just kept cycling through it like gotcha. every month. <laughs> so you could, you could watch The Wedding in Las Vegas guaranteed once a oh month on TV for a couple of years there. Oh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, you're, you're feel free to take one. Feel free to not take one. All right. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Uh, but uh, Dave, uh, you're here. You're promoting uh, Garden State Comic Fest, which is coming up in July, correct? Actually, it is coming up June 29th and 30th like, this year. Like Christmas, it's coming earlier and earlier. Yes, we, we had to move it up a week because of. Uh, Fourth of July. Okay. Uh, Fourth of July landed on a four-day weekend. It would have landed on ours, and a lot of people go away for that weekend, so we didn't want them to miss out. Okay. Uh, how long have you been running that show? Ah, uh, we've been running the show now for five, six years, okay. and this will be our eighth show. Mm-hmm. Um, you're in Morristown in uh, Ice Rink, right? Yes, Menon Arena, uh, right there in Morristown. Uh, it's a wonderful uh, arena. It's, it's a wonderful place to have a show in the uh, summer because, uh, you know, it's either hot or Arctic blast in the ice rink. And this year we're, we actually lucked out because both rinks, there is going to be no ice in either rink. So uh, everybody uh, can not complain about their feet being too cold. So we're happy about that. That's awesome. So uh, what guests have you got lined up? Oh, well, this year, uh, comic-wise, uh, our big one coming in is Stan Lee's uh, protege, Roy Thomas. Oh, nice. Uh, Roy Thomas is, uh, you know, the creator of almost as many characters as Stan Lee. 
So, uh, you know, he, he had a hand in Captain Marvel. He had a hand in Wolverine. Uh, he brought Red Sonja and Conan, Conan over to uh, Marvel. So uh, we're very, very happy to have him coming in. It uh, did a lot of Golden Age revival stuff for DC, correct, too. The correct. All-Star Squadron and things like that. Yes. And, uh, you know, so he's just a, uh, he's one of the last ones left of that uh, era. So we are very, very happy to have him coming. Uh, our big uh, celebrity guest this year would be Erica Durant, who played ah, Lois, Lois Lane, Lane from Smallville. Uh, this will be her first appearance in this area, and we're very, very proud of that. And, of course, we have Skeletor coming in, Alan Oppenheimer, and Michael <laughs> Bell, who played Duke and G.I. Joe. So, uh, but Garden State's always been an artist-focused show. Yeah. Um, we bring in a couple celebs, but not too many. Yeah, yeah. That's, Many a fond memory of a good sketch at, at yes. Garden State. If you're looking for artwork, if you're looking for comics, this is a great show for you. If you're, you know, just hunting for those autographs for uh, celebs, eh, it, it's it's not as good. There are those of us who still love an old school comic Correct. con. Yeah, <laughs> and that's what Garden State really is. Uh, it will stand the test of time. Let's put it that way. Uh, you guys also have a satellite show that you do at Great Adventure uh, like around Memorial Day weekend, right? Correct, correct. We have uh, Garden State Comic Fest Great Adventure Edition. It's coming up uh, May 25th and 26th. Uh, this year, Great Adventure actually switched it to two days. Uh, we have John Wesley Ship coming in for that. Oh, nice. nice. Uh, we haven't announced any of the artist guests yet, but uh, I can say Charles Paul Wilson III, Riley Brown will be there. Uh, Anthony Marquez actually of Dewey's may actually be there. I'm just waiting on his confirmation. So, uh, and our big thing this year is we are bringing in every Batmobile that ever existed. So this will be the first time they're all together in one shot. How does that work? Is there like one guy who's like the Jay Leno of pop culture cars and owns them all, or do you have to call around to like five different collectors or something like that? Actually, we lucked out. It is one guy that owns them all, and he just charges us a lot of money. So uh, it, it worked out because he also had the Bat Pod, the Bat Boat, and the uh, Bat Cycle. So uh, we're getting them all in there. Is it the Batman? Is Batman real? <laughs> Where does he get all these wonderful toys? I, I wish. And, and it's funny, too, because when it comes to Great Adventure, um, you know, Great Adventure, it's a, it's an amusement park. So running a Comic-Con inside a park like that can be tough sometimes. Sure. Um, because we're very limited on the cosplay that we can do uh, for security reasons, for... Uh, you know, just safety reasons. Mm -hmm. uh, you can't have Batman getting on a roller coaster and having his cowl or oh, cape getting oh, stuck. Yeah, yeah. No. So, uh, you know, n no one's allowed to come in and cosplay, except for the few that we bring in. And uh, as it is a DC park, mm -hmm. the three that we are not allowed to bring in are Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman. Interesting. Hmm. Because they're, they're under contract. They actually have to be, like, real actors of okay. those. In, but but if a guy comes in, in dressed as Green Lantern, that's that's fine. Copacetic, okay. Uh, yes, if, Green Lantern he can get away with because there's no cape, there's no mask, there's no nothing. So he's just wearing his PJs and Bring he's the good whole to go. Core. Right. A weaponless Deadpool. A weaponless Deadpool without the mask. With oh yeah, yeah right. Because you you need to be able to get through the security and everything else. So uh, last year we had a Joker 
Uh, he showed up with the white face, and that worked out. So, uh, uh, Suicide Squad style Harley, I guess, would That work. could make it. Uh, Bruce Wayne can come. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Clark from Smallville, you know. <laughs> I guess you could pull off a Clark. Hal Jordan. Yeah. <laughs> I guess you could kind of pull off a Clark Kent, you know, the glasses and the Superman right, t-shirt right. underneath. Yeah. So th- th- there's a couple ways you can uh, pull it. Uh, hey, it'll be Lois Lane. Yeah. Now, where so. do they set you up uh, in the park? Like over in the D.C. area or? Uh, well, the entire park is D.C. Uh, everything's D.C. in there now. But uh, what we do is we get set up right in front of the Hall of Justice. Oh, perfect. So it's a great uh, setting. Uh, the first year we were there, we were in front of the Joker ride, which... It was good. It's center of the park, but um, the Hall of Justice really adds a better backdrop to the entire oh, yeah. show. And uh, also, with the Joker ride, I actually spent a lot of time on the ride. So, uh, they, they actually <laughs> pulled me away from it. Right. So, that, that is a fun ride if you haven't tried it. Um, kind of go back to the beginning of Garden State Comic Fest for a little bit. You know, All right. Did you have, you know, when you're first setting up the show and you're trying to get guests and you're trying to get people to come, you know, how is that? How is that work? I know it's you and a, and a partner uh, yes. running the show, uh, Sal. My partner, Sal. Yeah. Um, you know, what can you tell me kind of about that like first year and kind of building up the show? Well, uh, originally, what it was was I. Uh, Got turned on to buying original comic art. Okay. Okay. Uh, as an investment. Um, so I would go around and I'd do that. And I'd go to New York Comic Con and I'd buy artwork and I'd say, you know, why, why can't, you know, I'm lazy. Why, why can't we bring this to New Jersey? And this way I don't have to worry about it. So uh, I was talking about it at a poker game where uh, one of my friends bet me 20 bucks that I couldn't put together a show like that in New Jersey. <laughs> So I went out, spent eighteen hundred dollars to win that twenty bucks, <laughs> and uh, it worked out kind of easy for the first show because I had bought so much artwork over the years off of other artists and mm-hmm. stuff that I, I grew a fond relationship with them. So they said, "Yeah, sure, we'll we'll do it," you know. And that's how Garden State was born. It was uh, the first show was in a bar in Ledgewood, and uh, look at us now. A couple years later, yeah. we're. Uh, you know, all over the state. We, last year, we did a show in Atlantic City. We, we do a show in Great Adventure still. Uh, we still have the flagship show in Morristown. You know, right? You come every time, right? That's right. I've been there. So it's, uh, it's been a, a fun ride. Uh, every year, it is becoming more and more work. Mm-hmm. Not as much fun. But, uh, you know, it still says fun. It's <laughs> awesome. I, I love the shows that have those kind of small beginnings like... Uh, like uh, East Coast started in like a bowling alley in Asbury Correct. Park and all that stuff. Oh, I, I remember that in the uh, bowling alley. That, that was a lot of fun, actually. And uh, one of my main goals has been that no matter how big or how much Garden State expands, mm-hmm. we don't want to lose the feeling that we had in that first show. We, we want families to be there we we want uh the kids to be there we want people to have an intimate time with the creators that they uh that they know um and you know the bigger you get that becomes more of a problem because it but we we've really tried to keep that going the way it has been 
That's awesome. Uh, where can people go to get info on Garden State Comic Fest? Well, uh, you can go to any of your local comic shops. I mean, uh, we, we do uh, basically, you know, I don't know what I can say on this. And Actually, I'm looking around. Maybe I shouldn't <laughs> say what I was about to say. But, uh, no, every local comic shop has uh, uh, our flyers in them. Uh, you can go to GardenStateComicFest.com, uh, GSComicFest.com, uh, Facebook, Garden State Comic Fest, GS Comic Fest on Instagram. Uh, also, uh, tickets can be bought online and also in your local shops like Dewey's, uh, Zap, uh, Fat Moose, Gotham Underground, and Eastside Max. Awesome. Oh, and you guys also run a uh, cosplay show in the fall too, right? C3. Yeah. Yes. Uh, cosplay Collectible Con. Uh, we've run that for the past two years. And right now, we are looking at possibly combining that where, who knows, there may be a winter edition, a smaller show of Garden State this year coming up. Oh. But this would be the first time I've actually said that in public. Okay. So you that was, that was dumb of me. Would that, would that be a Morristown thing? Yeah, it's already it would be in this area. It yes. would be in this area. Okay. okay. All right. Very cool. Dave, thank you so much for uh, stopping by the table. Oh, thank you. Thank yeah. you. I appreciate it. It's it was a lot of fun to talk. And, Great. Uh, Talk again soon. Yeah. So, uh, Cena, uh, you were at uh, you were at DragCon this past weekend. How was it? I was. It was. It was really cool. It was very overwhelming because a lot of these drag queens now have uh, deals with like makeup brands. So, really? I don't know how familiar you are with them, but like Trixie Mattel. Uh, had a massive presence uh, because of a, a makeup launch, like at DragCon. Okay. Um, so I think she came in like literally writing a, a gigantic like piece of lipstick, like it was a bowl. It, <laughs> it you know, it was just it, it's crazy. And then, but the other funny thing too is that they haven't quite solved the like Disneyland problem of if you want to meet one of these queens, like one of the famous ones, you're mm -hmm. in line for like hours. Um, <laughs> So I, I think, you know, if I if I can give any constructive criticism, it's kind of like, all right, how do you solve that problem of the, you know, like you have people just in a building for, you know, four hours at a time, like waiting to meet Aquaria or somebody. Um, but it was really lovely. And and uh, it's also great, too, to see, you know, people just kind of dress however they however they feel their inner unicorn is. And, it, and it's different than, say, like a Pride event or Comic-Con, mm -hmm. where it's just about, like, decadence. It's not about showing off skin, or it's not about saying, like, I have the most refined costume or outfit. It's just sort of whatever your inner decadence is. And I think we can all, I think we can all appreciate that. <laughs> that is great. Uh, also, I, I am all for the idea of cons setting up fast passes for things. <laughs> Yeah, I you know, I don't know what it would take, but it you know, I think it, it requires uh, a certain amount of organization um from everyone's standpoint, from, you know, the exhibitor to the talent, uh, you know, and as well as the sort of organizing uh institution itself. But mm -hmm. this is so interesting for everyone else, for every listener. <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> Let's talk about how to build a con. Well, it's <laughs> it's fascinating for me because my day job is I work uh, IT for nonprofit theaters and I've dealt with you know theaters that do presented events with big names and afterwards with you know the meet and greets 
and thinking about the way we've done those kind of, you know, the there's, you know, the meet and greet ticket, there's the VIP meet and greet ticket and how that would translate to something as big as a con. It's fascinating. Yeah. And they like they had VIP lines this year, but I don't know, just the whole thing was, you know, it's it's their fourth year. Like I'm not I mean, there's no blaming anyone. It's just kind of and it's also it's just very new to it's a new thing that drag queens are so are monetized so crazily and, and, and are merchandised so intensely. That's it's only the past really, you know, I would say like six years, mm-hmm. you know, thanks to RuPaul's Drag Race. I, and that's been on longer, but I think really it kind of zeitgeist out uh, in the past like five to six years. Um, so, yeah, it's all very new. for It's all relatively new for everyone. And um but yeah, it is interesting, and and, and I do think, uh, that, yeah, we, we they just got to bring in some theme park designers <laughs> <laughs> to these conventions to to streamline the process. But yeah, it was a great time. Uh, fast passes and forced perspective. Um, <laughs> you you've actually you've had a drag performer cosplay as uh, as Dark Vale, uh, the drag performer you created in Iceman, right? Uh, not to brag, but I've had several drag queens, but yeah, no, yeah, it's a Dax exclamation point is the main one, but it it was like, I knew something crazy was going on when, you know, I said, someone like texted me and was like, did you see what Nina Bonina Brown did? Nina Bonina Brown was actually the first to do it. Dax was texting me that she was gonna, and that she was building the costume, but Nina Bonina kind of like built it out a little quicker, um, and then there have been like about two or three other legitimate drag queens who have have gone full shade dash dark veil, uh, and it's it's so crazy and it's it's very cool too. But I you know like isn't that nuts? Like I designed that costume and now I see like the cosplay of it. I it's like hey I feel like Jason Latour in my own little way. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. No, that is that is mind blowing. Now, are are you a uh, a big drag race watcher? Do you watch the show? Yeah, yeah. I have to. I have to always be honest. Uh, <laughs> I avoided it for many many years because I had an ex who loved it, and he would go to the bars and watch it. And so for a while, like it just like stung to think about sort of properly uh, leaning into like drag race proper and and the fear of seeing him you know, at the first drag con or, or any of that. And then we started dating and, and someone again, cause I, that's me. Uh, and then before that, someone else kind of like, you know, just smacked me in the face and was like, get over it. Like it's a show. It's not a person. And, um, so yeah, now I'm like every Thursday or depending on the season, every Friday, uh, <laughs> at a, at a bar getting way too drunk on a weeknight, enjoying the show. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Friend of the show, Trent Seeley, wanted to know whose team you're on for the finale. Really tough. Uh, I love... I Okay, so I would be... I, I kind of think it's going to be Evie Oddly. Mm-hmm. Um, I love Akiria, but I think Akiria might... There might be a little it factor missing. It just depends on what, what she brings to the finale and what the circumstances are, but I'm, I'm between those two. Um, and, and I don't hate on Silky the way everyone else does, but I, you know, Silky, Silky has like definitely missed a few. And I like Brooklyn a lot too, but also Brooklyn kind of, to me is missing a certain je ne sais quoi that I think the, you know, the winner should have or should, uh, embody. Okay. 
What about you guys? Are you, you you're, you're you're asking these questions? I'm assuming you're you, you give a crud, but I don't know. <laughs> I, I I actually I actually have not seen it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I I tend to, I don't do much in the way of reality TV in general. I, I have enough scripted TV to keep me very occupied for far too long. Fair enough. Fair enough. I I was just like I was like I was like all right. Are these just uh, polite uh, softball questions or? <laughs> we we have friends of the show who are big watchers, and so they you know. They wanted uh, the inquiring minds. Yeah, yeah. Inqui- <laughs> inquiring minds want to know. Um, but yeah, that's uh, so. We'll see. I, th- I think this will probably come out after the finale, so we'll get to kind of look back on this and be like, oh, the way things were when <laughs> you know, because like Silky's probably going to win. But anyway, all right. This is you guys don't. This is that was for inquiring minds. We can move on. dot org. It's all. It's all good. We love tangents. Yeah. What did we talk about with uh, Ivy Nicole and Steens? Um, oh what was yeah, it? we started with like fifteen minutes on Vanderpump Rules. Oh my god, I I gave that show many seasons, but it, it's a little too what it is for me to kind of watch it every week. Like I watch Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, and even that. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll like skip an episode or just be bored out of my mind. You know, it's sometimes the drama isn't there and sometimes it's too manufactured or sometimes these people are just not interesting or they're sociopaths. And you're like, <laughs> I, I, I can't like you're just like flagrantly lying for viewers like I, I'm out, you know, but I, I gave it a few seasons. I'll be honest. And now I have something to talk about with Steens. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so let's get into uh, Jughead's Time Police, which is, is coming out uh, June 12th from you and uh, Derek Charm. Uh, first of all, I just want to say right off the bat, first issue is super funny. Uh, you know, does what I want a Jughead comic to do, which is just pack itself with jokes. You know, not not that uh, not that Jughead's adventures are particularly serialized or steeped in continuity, but uh, you know, did you need to do a lot of background reading before this, like the, the 2015 solo series or anything, or the original time police stories or anything like that. Um, I did reread the time police collection. Um, but I was pretty like, I was a pretty big fan of Chip Zdarsky's run, (laughs) which was all of like what eight issues. And, um, Ryan North, his, his run was really good too. And and I was reading all of the like Mark Wade Archies and and now Nick Spencer and and now Mariko Tamaki, mm-hmm. um, and I've always been kind of like a you know casual Archie fan, but in the sense of like you can dip in and dip out with the with the classic comics and never really feel like you're missing something. But um, it I gotta I gotta be honest in in the best way possible. Like I just felt such a connection to Jughead. And like, the, I never, this is the thing with a lot of these gigs in comics is like, I don't think I'm ever worthy of any of them. And so it takes an editor asking me like, Hey, what do you think about this character over here? Uh, and the minute I looked at Jughead and was like, Hey bro, like, could I live in your mind? Like, and then he was like, you've already been in my mind. You already, like, we already are the same. Like we already are these like, like genius gluttons like we've just figured out a way to both like spend all of our time hanging out with our friends and like eating copious amounts of carbohydrates without gaining weight um and so i yeah i so i did i did reread um i did kind of go through chip's run 
and 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 Matt's run, or not Matt's, uh, Ryan's run, and uh, and I did go through and just kind of, I just wanted to like like look at their cadence and rhythm and sort of see if there was uh, any connective tissue that I could find. And then something else I did uh, that really benefited me in, in a lot of ways was I went and grabbed some of those like mini omnibus collections of just like here are like 400 pages from the 40s or 50s and um and and I went through those those were a lot of that I think that was a lot of fun to to watch Archie and the crew Riverdale crew kind of like uh take shape that sort of gave me a lot of uh, treasures that I didn't know were going to really benefit this um but you know, yeah, it just felt it felt really organic and right, and I didn't have to uh, I didn't have to stress myself out too too much um, because you're either you're either a fit for the gig or you're not. Especially with like a you know a single character piece, you're either the person to write that character or you're not. Um, and I I just felt v- it's not that I felt confident, I felt excited, um, and 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 that's that's a really good feeling to have when you're writing a script. No, that that is great. Um, now speaking of Jughead's caloric intake, uh, and this, this modern era of Jughead that we find ourselves in with Riverdale and everything, where do you fall on the concept of hot Jughead? You know, the Jughead who eats hamburgers constantly, but all the red meat goes to his biceps. Um, you know, that's the beautiful thing about the, the sort of cast of Riverdale, the river, like, like the Archie crew, not the TV show Riverdale, like, right their their chemistry is such that they can kind of make for all kinds of stories mm-hmm. um i have my personal preferred jughead and I, and i think he's sort of the the main jughead of the series which he's like you know sort of more lanky and aloof um but you know we have a we have a freaking werewolf jughead we have you know zombie archie like i think there's just room for all kinds of iterations um and and actually, Jughead's Time Police kind of addresses the fact that there are kind of all of these different Jugheads. That's all I'll say. But uh, I think it's fine. I, you know, I think if people want it, if people want to see like a 90210 version of Jughead, why not? But as long as that doesn't bleed too much into what like, like as long as there's a space for the Jughead that we have known for decades, mm-hmm. then I think it's OK to kind of massage different iterations or different uh, meditations on the character. Because I was thinking about that. I was like, okay, the Cole Sprouse like version of Jughead, is he, is he still in keeping with some of the core values of, you know, what I think Jughead is. And, and I, and I didn't really reach a conclusion on that, but it was something that I was like, Oh, I want to spend some time thinking about this before like I wrap up this arc. <laughs> um, <laughs> But yeah, I don't know. I think there's room for everything. But my 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 preferred version is like he's lanky, aloof, loves his friends, and and loves eating and loves milkshakes. That is definitely the core of the character. <laughs> um, <laughs> did it, did it help working with Derek on this series? Uh, you know, seeing as he you know has had the experience with the character and just just in general. I mean, he's definitely got a knack for for comedy beats. You know, considering. You know, he's also working on Squirrel Girl and everything like that. Yeah, I, yeah, Derek is like, it's amazing because, so what I do, and I I say this all the time, this is not like anything special or new, but uh, I I lay out all of my scripts and I don't tell the artists just to make sure like I'm not doing anything, you know, 
like shitty to them. Or if I am, then I can say, hey, you're going to need to spend like two days on this page rather than like page a day or whatever. Um, And the rad thing about Derek is that like he either nails it and like no, like he picks up what I'm dropping or his storytelling uh, steps it up in a way like my mind couldn't have. And that's, that's all like so great. And yeah, his comedy is amazing. And, um, and all of the editors at Archie really have a good eye for that too. Like they, they just, you know, sometimes they, they'll see a corner that you missed and, and they'll, and they'll tell you like, Oh, like, and it's in such a loving way too, when they like suggest sort of how to like, you know, uh, up a joke a little bit or, or make a joke funnier. Um, so yeah, he's phenomenal. And what's great too, is I think he's evolved a little bit as a storyteller since the last time he worked on this book. And I read an interview with him where he was saying that like, he was also looking to kind of try and, and do something new or bring something new to this version of it. And, um, it's fantastic. And it's also great to, because I know he can do like a Marvel comic book type of story, the action in the series, like you saw issue one. So it's really, it's very kind of grounded and, and groundhogs day. E. Um, but we go, we go into the 29th century in issue two. And it's like, I'm like three point perspective, double page spread, like <laughs> flying cars, flying, you know, floating skateboards and hoverboards. That's what they're called. Uh, and, and he just nails it. It's such a good book. I mean, and, and I'm saying this in that, if if my if 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 a an issue came out and somehow all the lettering, uh, the beautiful lettering was stripped, meaning like I'm not a part of this thing and it's just a silent issue of Derek's art and Matt's coloring, like it's gorgeous. It's really pretty and it's super kinetic and and you you get what's going on and and yeah, and the visual jokes are still there too, the visual gags and and then I can you know and and so all the script is really is just like wordplay. <laughs> <laughs> I loved Derek's visual take on Dilton, which was a different take on the character that I'm used to seeing. And he's sort of my favorite sort of B member of the Riverdale crew. And I loved what you did with Dilton. Will we be seeing any more of him throughout the series? Yeah. I mean, this is so someone asked me on Twitter. They were like, oh, are we going to like see like like how much is Kevin going to be in the book? Um, You know, which I always get those kinds of questions uh, given my my background. And, um, I just, it's a Jughead story first and foremost. And so my answer is just kind of like, you see Dilton about as much as you see everyone else. Makes um, sense. yeah. So like, cause like, I do think, I think, I think Archie is only in like two panels of issue two and that's as many panels as Dilton is in. Um, but they'll, yeah, once, once I'm done with my like pandemonium, then, we'll go back to Riverdale and, and, and get him in there. And then also the thing too, is like, I, I I love to spill kind of like when happy accidents happen, but um, like Dilton ended up on the cover of number one. And I was like, Oh, well that's a note to self to like further uh, embed him into the plot. Cause now the reader's going to think like, Oh, Dilton's in this thing Um, far more significantly than I just like wanted him to team up like with Jughead and, (laughs) and think that these two kids could crack time travel. But uh, the real secret is I think hot dog was the one who cracked it. <laughs> I always knew there was more going on in that shaggy head. <laughs> He's my, like, I think hot dog is my favorite, favorite character. And, and that's due in large part to, uh, 
that Adam Hughes, Betty and Veronica trade. Uh, that it's like that three issue arc of them. And, and I think hot dog is like a pretty prominent character. Yeah. He like narrates the entire arc. Um, and so that, yeah, that really was like, Oh, I want to use hot dog. Hot dog is the best. And he's kind of, and, and I think Jughead is so uh, frantic and so manic as a character in, in terms of how I, you know, presented him. So it's really nice to have Hot Dog be there and kind of have this, like, these monotone reactions that are all thought <laughs> balloons that no one else can hear. Um, kind of like the like the dog in Married with Children, but, like, a little less, like, nihilistic and a little less pervy. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, yeah. That's great. Um, yeah, I forgot, I forgot about that Adam Hughes series and that uh, Hot Dog had done the uh, narration in that. Yeah, and it was a little, and that was very like Adam Hughesy. Like I think, I think Hot Dog is always. Uh, I don't know. I, is he like? Is he our? Is he our super ego? Is he our ego? I don't think he's our id, but I think he. I think he speaks to a a part of the writer's identity that is not necessarily like I'm the main character, uh, but kind of like our dry acerbic like uh, biting inner monologues or interior interior thought processes. I don't know that someone needs to anyone who is listening and writes dissertations should write a dissertation on hot dog and uh, the writer's mind. <laughs> <laughs> hot dog as the super ego to Jughead's pure id. Right. I mean, listen, <laughs> that sounds like that sounds like something that could be on the beat, you know? Yeah. I mean, hey, when it, the death of hot dog is what created afterlife with Archie. So, you know, if the superego is the part of you that is conscience and control, then, hmm. Guys, I want to go back to grad school just so I can write this paper. <laughs> <laughs> I know, we're waiting for it. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, so it's, 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 it's really fun. The Archie cast is fun, and Archie fans are super open-minded, you know, as long as they get, I think as long as you understand what an Archie comic should be in its, in its core, then people are down for whatever ride. I think it's when, you know, someone comes in and, and, and you can kind of sniff that they don't really know what they're doing. That's when like it, it goes a little sour, but honestly, I think, I don't, I don't think I've really read a, a, a missed, a, a missed connection so far. Uh, with any any title recently, I mean, I, I'm not. I haven't read like every single book that's come out, but mm -hmm. I feel really. I don't know. I feel really good about the books I read <laughs> that that Archie puts out um, and the interpretations. I mean, the reason you can get away with an Archie multiverse is that you're taking you know these five sort of art you know and change archetypes and just you can plug them into different scenarios and just see how they react. Yeah, and I think like a lot of people too, you know, they they. They want, like, I think there's there's a rhythm as well. Like, there's just, it's lighthearted. Um, and some of the stuff that would maybe not necessarily stand the test of time in terms of being problematic or, or whatever, Ar Archie has really uh, shifted with the tides in a nice uh, organic fashion. Like, I think, like, I think Betty and Veronica uh, and the love triangle with Archie like, you know, they just, after a point where like, or Betty and Veronica are also super good friends uh, and Betty and Veronica can be completely well-rounded individuals, but also super love clothes. Like, 
they they can be girls, they can be women, they can be friends, they can be enemies, they can be vying for the same guy. And I think um, as long as there's sort of like like the note card of like bullet points, like yeah, did you ever have either of you guys seen the like the beat sheet for the cast of Friends, like when they were like the casting call sheet? It's just like the names, like age range or something. And like like three to four uh, identity qualifiers, and if you look at it, you're like, boom! There's a hundred episodes of like character dynamics um, right there, you know, in just like a hundred words. And uh, and 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 the art, yeah, like you were saying, like the the crew, they have that, they have that dynamic, and their stories just translate over and over and over again, and and still manage to be interesting. It's that Grant Morrison beginning of All-Star Superman where he sums up everything about Superman in three panels and three sentences. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, the, I, you know what's funny is that I think the only, the only Archie translation that probably hasn't really taken off in my uh, experience is like Archie and Capes. Like, I don't, I, for some reason that genre doesn't really seem to Maybe that's my vibe. Maybe I'm maybe I'm alone in that. But I, I feel like like a superhero Archie. I'm like, eh, like I'd rather just like watch Buffy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get that. But even but she's not a superhero. I mean she's a vampire slayer. She's gothic fantasy. But you get what I mean. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Uh so one thing that stuck with me a little bit, uh, in the first issue, uh Jughead catches or passes uh, Betty who's out for a jog and he calls her sporty spice and Betty replies by saying, or yeah, he calls, he calls her sporty spice and she replies by saying that, that she's a baby spice and he knows it. Uh, I'm, but if Betty is baby, uh, that did have me kind of thinking for a little bit who rounds out the Riverdale spice girls. Like obviously Veronica's posh, you know, uh, Cheryl Blossom is ginger, uh, but after that, I started to struggle. I had maybe Tony as scary. I, I have no sporty in this scenario, like none whatsoever. That is the next new Archie character. No, I don't know. Yeah, I don't think there really is a sporty Spice. Um, I mean, you know, look at the Spice Girls reunion. There's no posh right now. I think I think we're just dealing with four girls. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, we just have to live with the fact that we only get four Spice Girls nowadays. We don't get all five. <laughs> well, I think we, we we were accustomed to that for a while. Ginger was always in and out. Yeah, exactly. So I think I think in the Riverdale world, we live without a sporty spice, which is really sad because her vocal range, I think, was the most legitimate out or one of the more legitimate out of the five of them. But um, yeah, I'll we'll have to like let's like put this up to Twitter. Hey, Twitter, if you're listening to this, let's have a conversation. And who do you think is the sporty spice of Riverdale? Because I don't, you know, like, I think Betty is, like, I don't think it's just because she's, like, the blonde one. I think it's, like, mm-hmm. she's also, like, super sweet, and I think she's a peacemaker, um, and that sort of, like, baby's vibe is just, you know, very that. Um, and, yeah, anyway, all right, yeah, Twitter, tell us. Tell us your <laughs> thoughts. Hashtag. <laughs> <laughs> Sporty Riverdale. Um <laughs> Uh, so uh, you, you name dropped uh, Jenny Lewis in the first issue and you've done artwork for her, uh, you know, over the years. How did you guys end up connecting? Uh, 
the nerdy way. Like I was just like a really <laughs> big fan at a young age. Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah, I, I grew up in Los Angeles and I had a friend who discovered them very early on because like they were hired to play like a cruise. His parents, okay. you know, took him to or something. And so he was like, Oh, you got to listen to this band, Rilo Kiley. Um, and when Jenny started doing solo stuff, uh, I, I kept up as a fan and then, uh, cause, oh yeah, right. I, I need to like explain that. Like I'd go to these shows. I, I would be able to like talk to her and I think I interviewed her for the high school newspaper. And, and then in my senior year, I did a comic book for, for Rilo Kylie for one of their shows. And, and then after that, like I went to school, they, they became a super famous band, um, and, and we didn't, you know, it's not like I'm like, and we kept in touch all these years. Uh, and, but then I, 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 I drew her in something and, and, and at mentioned her on Twitter and she, we got, then we got back in touch and she was like, Hey, do you want to do a comic for, uh, my, the song I made called Aloha and the three Johns. And, um, and it just built from there. Like, you know, I, I, I did that. And, and then when her first solo album, Rabbit Fur Coat, was celebrating its 10th anniversary. She was like, Hey, do you want to, you know, do you want to do another thing or two or do a shirt? And, and that kind of ballooned, or is that the word? It kind of, you know, uh, evolved into, I kind of did like the entire merch line for that tour. Maybe not the entire merch, but it was like, I did like, you know, it was like two t-shirts, a comic, a poster, four posters. Um, and so, yeah, we just, we just kept in, we've kept in touch. And, and then when on the line, uh, her new album out now, from Warner <laughs> records, I think hashtag on the line. No, <laughs> um, when, when she was working on that, then, uh, we kind of had a conversation about like, Hey, like I can really do something cool if we're actually spending time rather than reacting, you know, like rabbit for code obviously was like the album had been out. Mm-hmm. Um, and same with, her, when we got back in touch, when she was touring the Voyager, like it had been out a year. So it was really great to have her sort of be like, all right, here are the recordings as they are. Like I, I it was really cool. I went to her uh, manager's office and like was listening to like early cuts and just like furiously taking notes because I, you know, it's like, I didn't know how much access I was going to get. So I was like writing down every lyric and writing every like image that came to my mind. And then I sent her this like four page ramble of like thoughts that were in my head. And, um, so it was super neat. And, uh, and yeah, and then same with on the line, it just kind of, uh, it was out of my control in how, uh, the art married the music. Like it just, you know, different people behind the scenes were looking at the art and connecting some dots and, uh, it's, uh, yeah, I don't know. This is the like most validating, happiest chapter of my life. Like, I don't, you know what I mean? Like, oh, I, I love this musician when I'm 14 and like, now I get to do all this artwork for her and, uh, you know, and it's not just like, yeah, I don't know. I feel, it feels really cool. It's really, really cool. And the album is like spectacular. So it's nice to also do it for like, you know, one of her, like the best, one of the best albums of her career, as opposed to like, I don't know who, who, who puts out duds? Like, you know how the, the strokes, they'll put out some dud albums. Like, could you imagine like, yeah, I did it for the strokes on the really bad <laughs> album that like they almost broke up to, you know? 
2009. Or, or, or like a or like a really shitty Morrissey album. Could you imagine? Like, yeah, I did all the art for your least favorite Morrissey album. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in this current phase of Morrissey, where he's just old and racist. Exactly. Yeah, it's like it's like yeah, I uh, I got to do I I designed a poster for conservative Morrissey. Like, <laughs> fuck that. Um, spilling that hot tea. But yeah, so it's uh, a it, yeah, she's she's fantastic. And and for anyone listening, um, you got to see her live. Like this, this cycle is, the set's great, the music's great, her band is great. It's all great, even though it's a breakup album. It's all great. <laughs> that is awesome. Uh, well, moving on. Uh, in July, you're going to be picking up uh, Go Go Power Rangers over at uh, Boom uh, alongside Ryan Parrott. Um, were you, were you, Steve? Do you have a background in uh, Ranger fandom, or is that another thing you had to, you know, did you have to bone up on this one? Or no, no, this is like I like check the receipts. I this is <laughs> this is very. I have this has been like six years in the making or something. I mean, this has actually been like thirty years in the making, or no, not thirty, twenty five years in the making or something. But mm-hmm. um, always been a huge fan of the the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers franchise. Um, I definitely fell off. I think when they were like turbo um that that was sort of when i was like okay like i don't really want to watch like a little kid be a power ranger or whatever this is mm-hmm. um and uh but i i when boom got the license i was like please please let me be involved so i did a variant for the very very first issue um and then i got to do something for the 25th anniversary special and um but i you know it just there was never like quite a moment where I, I seem to fit in with the the kind of lineup and and I think also until Iceman, a lot of people didn't realize like I can I I like to think I can write action comics because um, everything I was doing at Image was very slice of life or emotional or I had a co-writer mm-hmm. and no one could know what was me or what was him. Um, so I think after Iceman, it, it, it sort of opened the door to have a conversation about like. Oh, like you can write emotional action comics, which is what Go Go Power Rangers is. It's all about the uh, character dynamics, and so yeah, they. I had to audition, um, which is like so stressful, but also super validating and like vindicating. If ever like you're dealing with a troll who hates you, it's like you know what, dude, I went up against people, and like I had to get approved. Like you can go sit down and, and quiet down for a little bit because like I deserve to be here. Um, so yeah, it was really exciting and I was, I was very nervous. Uh, I worked probably harder on that sample than like anything in my career, uh, in terms of writing, just cause I just was like stressing out and rereading Ryan's scripts, trying to understand his tone and his rhythms and, and figure out like his style and then figure out how I could incorporate my style with his style and, um, it's been an incredible learning experience to kind of work with a, an editor who is as like thoughtful and intelligent as, as Daphna is. She's mm-hmm. the main editor on that book with Gwen Waller. And, um, and then similarly, like I've never, I've never had a co-writing situation where, uh, I'm not like the dominant mind in the process, like with burn the orphanage, I was drawing it and co-writing it. So there was a little bit of the, like, I'm going to do what I want because I have to draw this bullshit. (laughs) Um, But, you know, over here, it's more like Ryan is like the chief architect and, and really kind of 
massaging a bunch of neat story elements across the board. So it's been it's been fantastic to to pick his brain and learn from him and and learn how to be a collaborator, which I don't think I have a problem with, but it's always good to check yourself and see if you you still have those skills or if you've become like totally like myopic and and asshole. <laughs> Um, you're, you're jumping in just about there's, they're about to start a crossover, right? Um, I wouldn't call it, maybe I guess I'd call it, a, you, you can call it a crossover. Um, that on my understanding or the way I've been absorbing what we're mm-hmm. doing in GoGo is that, um, we, it's a little bit of a time jump after Shattered Grid mm-hmm. and Tommy is showing up in GoGo. And the thing that I tell Ranger fans um, who, like me, appreciated Gogo for being that like magical, almost innocent era when it was just the five of them, uh, with a very realistic modern um, look at the emotional arcs that they would go through and the beats that would happen to a teenager actually having, you know, gotten these this power these powers to be intergalactic defenders um, of evil or whatever. It's uh, it's still very much about the five kids. It's still very much about uh, their reacting and processing uh, the Tommy of it all. Rather than Tommy coming in like a wrecking ball and dominating the storyline, it's the kids being affected by that. But not, it, it, it's more like, that's more, I don't know how to explain it, but it's, it's still, it's really cool because Gogo has never had to like, be pushed into the continuity this hard. And I think what Ryan has sort of set up and, and the conversations we've had have really made it still this incredibly special and captivating comic book where you're still learning about these characters and uh, bonding with them in a way that you weren't getting with the TV show. That's great. Yeah. And actually my other favorite thing to, Oh, can I say this? Can I say this? Can I say this? Uh, I I don't think (laughs) I can say what I want to say, but I am going to rephrase what I want to say, which is one of my favorite things about Gogo, uh, besides like the amazing artwork, uh, is I love that what we're doing is looking at specific eras where um, the footage... The, the Japanese footage of the battles uh-huh. was not conducive to some sort of, you know, some cool scenes. I'm trying, I, like, I don't know. There's just like, it's like, it's so cool when you can just see like the saber tooth tiger, like, just like, you know, fight a bad guy, like without immediately going into Zord mode. Um, and that, that is something that when we like on literally one of the more recent scripts we're working on, cause we're a few issues ahead to make sure like everything we're doing is aces for the fans. Mm-hmm. Um, but on, on an issue we're working on right now, like I was talking about kind of extending a Zord scene because I was like, well, but like I really want to see like XYZ and LMNOP happen because like we don't get to see that ever in the footage. You know what I mean? Like that's never there. And that's, I think, very valuable to this comic book. And Ryan was like, yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. Because he wanted to like he thought the scene was done. And I was like, the scene's done. But the scene also the value of it can be the rad action sequence of it. You know, I think with comic books, you, you have the liberty to actually say like the whole point of this page is to make it look dope. Um, 
And 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 you as a writer, you always have to remind yourself of that. That like, oh yeah, like I can just like this page is literally like, or in the case of Jughead, like this page is literally for a gag. You know, I may have lost a storytelling page, but I got a gag out of it. Um, and with Power Rangers, I think a cool fight scene is worth kind of like, oh, well, actually, like, you know, extend this beat longer so, like, we can see this cool Zord formation or Zord move. I'm trying to be vague, but I don't think mm-hmm. I'm accomplishing that. <laughs> <laughs> now, on top of that, since we're talking about Boom, you also have a new original series coming out in July, uh, Ghosted in L.A., with Siobhan Keenan and edited by Shannon Waters, the co-creator of Lumberjanes. Uh, tell us a little bit about that book. Oh, my God. It is my I, – I say this on Twitter all the time because I'm just like – I feel like I'm constant like heart eye emojis and exclamation points. Like this is like the – happiest I've ever been like you don't understand like I get to write Jughead which is just like a great happy book and then I get to write Jughead like kind of like off canon in terms of like it's timey wimey um (laughs) so I'm not like I'm not scared of continuity you know I get to just like fuck with continuity and like laugh about it as long as I honor it you know and same with like go go Power Rangers where it's like oh I get to like participate in the Power Rangers brand but I'm protected because I'm only co-writing And this, like, awesome writer is going to just, like, make sure that no matter what happens, it's, like, an excellent script. So, like, I get to take some credit for, like, this really dope comic book. Um, And then Ghosted in L.A. is uh, just this beautiful, beautiful project that came from years of trying to collaborate with Shannon, um, you know, on a big, big level. Not just, like, oh, can I be in this anthology? Or, oh, can I do a variant cover? Or, oh, can I do a backup story? Like... Uh, I have had such a work crush on her for years and, and we've known each other, you know, going back to adventure time. Um, cause I did some stuff there and I did some stuff with regular show and being puppy cat. So I've always tried to be on her radar, you know, and, the, and she's got such a Midas touch in terms of, oh, Hey, doesn't she have a book called Midas touch, but or <laughs> Midas flesh anyway. Um, but like, she's just, she knows how to bring out. I think someone's inner magic. And, um, I was trying to, I was, I was trying to get her on board with this one idea and it really wasn't fitting with boom. And so, you know, but we were still like, Oh, I really want to work with you. And she was like, I want to work with you. And, uh, and then it, it kind of came down to like, we just like, it, it was like real talk. It was like, okay, Shannon, well, how do we make this work? Like, what do you want? Like, what have you got in your roster? And like, what can I pitch you? And, from that conversation, this idea of like Melrose Place, but with ghosts, <laughs> uh, came to mind, and and at the same time, you know, it had just been announced that what we do in the shadows was going to be a TV show, and Shannon was like, I really like the humor in what we do in the shadows, where it's this supernatural thing, but it's such it's such a uh, grounded isn't the right word, but it's like the tone is so like the jokes are so rooted in like a weird absurdist reality of it all that like, she's like, I want something like that. Like I want, I want that weird quirky humor. I want like love triangles aplenty and I want ghosts. And I was like, okay. Um, and, and it was, again, and, and I've said this before, and I think it's just like anyone who's listening, any new listener who has aspirations to be uh, a creator of any sort, 
this is like, listen, this is, this is key clutch advice. Like you, you know, you've got something good when you have to like pull over and sit your ass down somewhere and like write these ideas because like your brain, like you're going to get in a car accident. Your brain can't stop moving. And that's what happened is I left the office and I got maybe like a mile and like pulled over, went into a cafe I had my iPad with me and within 40 minutes, I sent her the pitch for it. Um, and I think it was called the ghosts of Redcroft Manor back then. And then, uh, marketing was like, Hey, let's, how about something catchy? And I was like, Oh, fine. Um, <laughs> but it, yeah, it just, it all came together and it, and even the approvals process, like, it's not like, you know, I'm not Grant Morrison. It's not like it was like, you know, an over the email approval, but it was, uh, that's another thing I can kind of say to aspiring creatives is like, you'll know when it's right, when everything feels right. Like when the momentum is right. When I said, you know, I was like, Hey, like is Siobhan free? And I know she's free. Cause I already asked her and she said, she's free. <laughs> and she said, she's interested in this. How do you feel about her? And then Shannon was like, I love her too. Let's do it. Um, and, and even like the assistant editor, Mike Macchio, he's like so perfect for this because his brain is different than Shannon's brain and it's different than my brain and Siobhan's brain is different than, you know, my brain too. And I just think all of us together, it's, it's really, really awesome. And Kathy Lay is doing the colors and she's super rad and, uh, DC Hopkins, uh, like just really, really, uh, gracious in terms of like, Hey, I'm lettering this thing. Like do you want to have a conversation? Like, let me know if you have any feedback. I just want to make this unique and special. Like, um, so it's one of those things where it's like, I don't care if the fans don't like it or the readers don't like it. It's special to me. It's like, I'm happy with it. And it's the same thing with like the Jughead's time police thing. Like I'm going to love it on my bookshelf and that like, I'm, you know, like I love comic books. So that's really all that matters. Cause like, I know what I think a good comic book is. And, and so if I make what I think a good comic book is, then I'm happy. That, that is amazing. Uh, you, you mentioned, uh, I think with Jughead's Time Police, you know, liking to sort of lay things out beforehand so you know what the artist is getting into. Because this is, you know, so obviously your baby, kind of like how deep did you get into, you know, laying out or maybe storyboarding uh, in kind of, before things got into uh, Siobhan's hands? I, so I don't, like, I don't stage manage her in terms of layouts, mm-hmm. but I, I'm a pretty big fan of, like, Brian Fuller, who did Hannibal and Pushing Daisies. Mm-hmm. And the thing I really love about him is how meticulous he is about every aspect of the production, you know, including, like, set design and wardrobe and how those things interact with each other and how the cast interacts with those things. And so when we were starting the series, I was pretty like, there's a, we have like a, like a story Bible that I, I constantly keep going into and adding into. Um, And, and with that, like there are, you know, comprehensive notes on like what the characters are wearing and like the um, architecture of the buildings and something we're doing. This is, this is technically exclusive tea for you. Um, I'm, we're going to be incorporating like real things, like real bands, real comedians, real locations, real people, not, not like in a growth, like only when it makes sense, mm-hmm. but 
I think that's part of the value to me as like, if I I've lived here my whole life and I want to show kind of a three dimensional picture of Los Angeles. I, and, and I think part of that is there, there like you want to, you want to put your finger on these weird things that make LA real. Um, and so in that sense, Siobhan gets a lot of like, look at this, look at that. Like I, you know, I have them go to a museum and I was literally like telling her which paintings the casts, the cast is like interacting with, you know, um, because it means something and, and it, and it adds to it, especially if the, the reader knows that then, you know, it, it makes the experience all the better and it, and it makes the, it's kind of like Steven universe where once you realize there's so much, um, subtext and there's so much happening in terms of bigger picture stuff, like it makes you that much more engaged and that much more in love if you vibe with the art. Um, and that's something we're trying to do with this is like, give it that Steven universe. Like there's something on this page in issue one, that's going to pay off in issue seven, you know, kind of thing. Um, and I love that boom has given me the guarantee of like, we're going to do it 12, like at the very least. And, and, and I, and I've planted some seeds and that's just been, great but yeah otherwise I kind of do really I, I let Siobhan have fun and I want her to like I want it to be her book too so I, I try not to stage manage too hard e even with the wardrobe I'll be like she leans towards these colors and looks like she shopped at this store but like the thrift store version of it so and then you know from there because Siobhan like totally understands fashion in a way that I don't like she'll build some really impeccable outfits so it's just yeah it's it's a really, I don't know. I'm happy with the product. <laughs> That's great. That's great. No, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And I, I have a feeling like you'll have a nice, long, healthy run because I have a habit of starting these boom series. It's like, oh, this will be a nice little mini series for me to read. And then suddenly it becomes an ongoing. It's happened to me at least half a dozen times. So I'm on board for this one. So you might just fall under my blessing, curse, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> Let's hope. I just, you know what it is? I just, it's, it'd be really cool because for people who are listening, I think what's great about this comic is that on the one hand, uh, oh yeah, I haven't, like this book is, so this book is about uh, a young girl who, uh, she, she follows her boyfriend, goes to the same college as him, uh, moves to LA from Missoula, Montana, and he dumps her. He like goes to her and dumps her. Um, and then through plot reasons, she lands in front of um, this apartment complex that is uh, inhabited entirely by ghosts. And uh, they are a metaphor for single people, um, both good and bad, you know, and much in the same way that like Buffy is like the monsters are a metaphor for, you know, the monsters of adolescence. Um, and, uh, and, and, it, and it sort of follows her trying to create a space for herself as a woman that wait, I shouldn't say that because like that I'm a, I'm a dude. I, but like as a person, like she's just trying to like figure out who she is because like she followed, you know what I mean? Like she has like a really bad uh, programming glitch in that, like, you know, her music taste is her best friends. And she, you know, went to the school that her boyfriend picked. Like she needs to just kind of figure out who she is outside of these people and outside of these forces. Um, and, but then on top of that, there's all these, like, it's still supernatural. Like, why are there ghosts? Like, why are they at this place? Like, 
you know, why them, why them specifically? Why or not? We'll find out. Um, and but but I, I have to focus on Daphne, this main character. Like she's got an arc. So the only way I'll ever get to do some really crazy shit is if I get another 12 issues, you know. Um, and then on top of that, it's like the Vampire Diaries thing of like. I also would love to do the like answer a question with a question and just keep the viewer, the reader like constantly like, Oh shit, I need to keep reading. Oh, what happens next? You know? Um, Cause vampire diaries for as silly as it is or was or can be or became there. I think the first two seasons are impeccable in terms of storytelling and, and uh, dropping the cookie crumbs for the viewer and uh, rewarding them while still captivating them. Um, and then after that, I think once Kevin Williamson leaves, it, it sort of has to become a CW show to last five to seven seasons. But um, those beginning episodes, yeah, the beginning two seasons are just, it's like every episode's a season finale. Same as Westworld, you know? Like, I just want every issue to feel like a season finale. That makes sense. Well, while, you know, we're kind of focusing on your upcoming work, Dan and I became friends and bonded over X-Men many, many mm. years ago. So there, there's an X-Men question that uh, we always have to ask if you've written an X-Men something, an X-Men question. Um, I, I mean, Iceman was such a great, great book. And that the final issue, the Winter's End one shot, you had the scene where Bobby finally confronts Gene about outing him which was such a big thing and so controversial is maybe not the right word on, you know, amongst fandom, but it was become, became such an issue about, you know, Gene's choice and the, the wrongness of that. And it was such a powerful, important scene. Was that something you'd had planned all along for sort of your wrap up of Iceman or did it come organically out of the end of extermination where, they now had the memories of their younger selves built in to feed into that. It was a perfect, so winter's end was a perfect storm. Like I wrapped up, like I was like finishing the Iceman arc and, uh, and the extermination stuff happened. And, um, I, I reached out to editorial and I was like, Hey, look, not to look a gift horse in the mouth, but I kind of discovered that we have an angle here. And I'd been pushing, like, I think as early as like three editors ago when, it, you know, like there was so much upheaval when I was doing Iceman, but like that, like from the very beginning, I really wanted to, um, I really wanted to finesse that. I really wanted to, to give Bobby some agency in that interaction with Jean Grey. Um, and at the time, it, it was like a throwaway line originally because Gene wasn't back from the dead. Extermination hadn't happened. And um, I was just told, like, hard no. Like, don't. Like, Bendis could really misinterpret that. Like, you could be, you think you're doing, like, something good. But, like, what you're really saying is, like, that writer did something wrong. So, fuck that. Like, Bendis is our, you know, he's our moneymaker. He's our breadwinner of the family. So, No. Um, and then Bendis left and I pushed it again a little bit and editorial was kind of like, don't, and this is a good note too, for anyone who, uh, is a writer, um, like don't spend your time trying to fix someone else's problems. 
Um, and so finally, I think with Gene back and exterminate and all of it, I just was like, guys, like, cause it was all men, um, <laughs> upstairs. And I was like, Hey dudes, like I like, it's not, I'm not fixing what Bendis did. I, this is like an actual character beat. Like if this had happened, I would want to have this conversation with this person and it would be really complicated because she's my family and I love her, but like, it's also really not fair. And this book is so much about Bobby Drake learning to be emotionally honest um, that it was just, yeah, it was a perfect storm to be like, Hey guys, like he's finally earned this. Like it, this is, I know that this isn't going to like prove to anyone, like I'm an amazing writer, but like the character will be in a better place and the people who get it will understand like what this means that like he can finally confront someone and say something like that rather than lose his temper and yell at them or like have his powers spaz out because he can't tell the truth. Like he just has an honest conversation where you can tell he's already forgiven her, but it was, I don't know. I just was really happy that I got the opportunity to do that. And, um, I talked to a few friends like, you know, uh, Jay Edidin of Jane miles mm-hmm. explained the X-Men. Um, they, he was like super, super, super receptive to having this conversation with me and helping me make sure that I was still doing what I wanted to do, but also understood why that need, like how to make that effective for everyone. Cause I think you want, you know, you always want to do the right thing, but then you also have to do the honest thing. And sometimes that can create storytelling problems where something can come off as like a patronizing or miss the mark. And, uh, yeah, between Jay and my friend Valentino, who is a scholar, like, they both helped me just sort of, like, land the dialogue just right. Same way with, like, when Bobby came out to his parents. I think I had, like, three or four people, to, like, workshop that with me just to make sure what I was doing was still... Like, because the Marvel editors, they they are sensitive, emotional people, yes. But, A, I, you know... Uh, my editor was when I was doing those issues was not gay because uh, Daniel Ketchum was no longer with Marvel. Mm-hmm. So I was the only gay dude, you know, in a, in a group of like four people on these email chains. Um, and there, I don't think there's anyone gay behind the scenes at Marvel besides in like marketing and publicity. I don't, anyway, that's, it, it doesn't matter. Like you shouldn't, sexual identity should not be what, well, anyway, this is complicated. We're not getting into that. This is not what this podcast <laughs> is about. Um, but yeah, so I had to kind of get help from my buds and, and, and really get it right. Um, so I'm glad that that landed with you because that, that was important to me. Um, and I thought also so much of the series had been Bobby Drake, uh, having issues to reconcile with his past that it felt very, it feels like all 17 issues, like the three volumes of Iceman come full circle when it has to be about him in order for him to be in the present. He then had to face his fear of the future. Um, and I think that's where I got the character when all is said and done is like, he can actually be in the present. That is great. And you know, I'm, it's also, I mean, it's great that you also have, you know, the sounding boards, if not, you know, behind the scenes at Marvel, then in your sort of general support system that you can kind of work those things out with, you know, when it comes time for that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. You, yeah. And it's not easy finding, uh, readers. That's what, that's what sort of like, you know, me, uh, me and my dudes, that's what we call them. Like having readers, mm-hmm. uh, 
because yeah, you 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 know you get in your own head or you find your own rhythm, and then you have blind spots and um and it's you know and it's good to sort of have confirmed what is working, and then also be told like, oh, if that was your intent, like you did not accomplish your intent. So <laughs> massage that scene. <laughs> um. Well, one more little little bit of X Men thing, uh, you know. Yeah, usually I love, uh, love X Men, so let's talk about yeah. X Men for another twenty minutes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I always do a little a little light uh, Twitter stalking before I go into these interviews. And uh, the other day, you had tweeted uh, you thought you'd lost a piece of like Chris Pachalo original art of uh, Jubilee from Generation X, and uh, I got the sweats <laughs> thinking about that. And, um, yeah, but uh, are, are you a uh-huh. cl- original art collector? I, I, I am. And I'm not mm-hmm. because like, it's a slippery slope and sure. <laughs> I learned the hard way that like, sometimes your investments don't yield returns, not that they're investments, but like I, so I was a really big fan of, um, Joss Whedon's fray. Um, sure. and I love Carl Moline's artwork and Andy Owens is like the best inker on him. And, uh, I bought like, I think, seven pages from that book and I was 18 and that was my money that I earned working at the comic shop over the summer. Like that was literally like my entire summer savings just went to buying originals. And it's not that it's not that like, again, it's not like they're valueless now, but I think I like paid a premium because I just like loved it so much. And yeah, like, you know, I, 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 like an 18 year old spending his entire summer. It's just sort so I can't really spend like that anymore now that I have rent to pay. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do art trades a lot of times or homies will like be pretty good about hooking it up. If, uh, you know, we worked on the project, like Scotty young, man, this guy, Scotty young is like the chillest dude on earth. Like I, everyone, he's the best, <laughs> like, <laughs> buy his books just because he's a genuinely beautiful human being but like he gave me the variant to Iceman number one he was like oh just like he was like we'll do an art trade for your I hate fairyland pinup you did for me which you know is not fair like you know that his cover is probably minimum like $1,500 and my my drawing was like $40 like you know like that like and it, it was whatever he's just a king he's he's a cool ass dude um, and same with like my Iceman artists always like give me a page or if I want a specific page, they'll give me a deal. Um, so nowadays if I do get an original, it's more to align with projects I'm working on that are special to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, when I was an editor at Skybound, I got a lot of pages from, from, it, I bought them. Like I, you know, cause I wanted to, uh, I wanted to commemorate all these different books I was working on. So I have a couple of walking dead pieces. I have a couple of, I have a lot of invincible pages. Um, I have some super dinosaur. Uh, I think I have a witch doctor piece or two. Um, guardians of the galaxy guardians, of no guarding the globe. Sorry. I was like, I was like, right. What was the title we had to change it from? Um, <laughs> guarding the globe. Um, yeah, just all of these books. I just, uh, I, I love them, but you know, you only have so much wall space on top of that. Sure. Um, so I, I keep it pretty special. Like right now I'm looking at, while I talk to you guys, uh, Kevin Wada had just done this like random Iceman painting as a warm up uh, on like a piece of just like a tiny, you know, less than four by six piece of paper. So I have that framed on my wall because he gave that to me as a gift. And I have a, I have a drawing Michael Turner did of a like Rastafarian Killian for all you Fathom fans out there. 
And um, like he did that at a pizza party and just like threw it on the table. And I was like, ah, need this. <laughs> um, so I have that framed and it, it's just so special because it also like went through the wash. So it's just so like, it's just like this weird, like fucked up piece of business card. <laughs> but like, it's, it, you know, it, it just has so much value to me. And, and uh, yeah, so stuff like that. I have those, those things on my wall. And I, I have a Ramon Villalobos uh, drawing of Demon that we did an art trade for. Um, that I need to get up on the wall pretty soon. So yeah, I still do, but you know, I think I also think the 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 heart palpitations that I low key had for the past year and a half, thinking that that Generation X cover was stolen, uh, was also kind of like a mm, don't put money into this because that's like hundreds of dollars that disappears if someone takes one piece of paper away from you and it's gone. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel good. Like, I feel good about my collection. Like, I don't, like, I don't really, I, I don't know. The only thing I could ever hunt for now to feel like my collection is incomplete would be when Joe Matarera was drawing Uncanny. And when Carlos Pacheco was on X-Men during Operation Zero Tolerance. You, uh-huh. can, you can sense when my, like, sweet spot was um, with that, with that. But if I can get, if I could, if, th- if those happen to come up, pawn my life or whatever like cool but i don't i don't know i i don't want to hunt for those they seem really hard to find and really expensive <laughs> but if one were to magically appear at a reasonable cost <laughs> yeah uh, like the jughead thing like i'm just like how can i like gluttonously lazily get my way <laughs> um so if, if i manifested on a podcast it could happen um but that's about as much work as i'll do is, is just putting it out there saying it out loud and 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 Hopefully someone will be like, hey, I know this guy in Delaware that has like, you know, a basement full of art that he needs to get rid of and needs to get rid of it fast. That's not going to happen. <laughs> uh, hey, this is how the secret works. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I'm, I'm, I'm manifesting it. It's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, well, Sina, uh, this has been uh, an awesome, super fun conversation. Uh, as we're wrapping up, how can people follow you online if you, in fact, wish to be followed? Uh, you know, as long as you're not an asshole, uh, I'd love it if you followed me. Oh, shit. You, you, assholes can follow me, too. Um, douchebags, though. Don't follow me if you're a douchebag. Um, I can be found uh, at Cena Grace, uh, which I'm assuming people will know how to spell my name if they've clicked on any link to listen to this. Uh, but yeah, Twitter and Instagram are my jams. Like, that, those are my favorite places to be. Uh, but I'm on Facebook. I'm on all of it, so... Except for Snapchat, I'm over it. I'm like, eh, I don't need I don't need the 14 to 16 year old demographic. <laughs> but I'm still on it, but I just don't post. Anyway, so that's where they can find me, and uh, I like to I like to keep it fun on all those things. So and I and I keep thing and I and I put different things on each one. So you kind of have to you kind of have to stay interactive. All right, gotta catch them all. Cena, uh, thank <laughs> you so much for uh, doing the show. Oh my gosh, thank you guys for having me. This was a, a true blast and. Hope to see hope to see you both at, at a con sometime this summer. That's it for this week's show. As always, you can listen to WMQ&A on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and at WMQComics.com, where new episodes move Tuesday mornings. You can support WMQ&A and WMQComics.com at Patreon.com slash WMQComics, where just a dollar donation gets you early access to episodes, the ability to promote your work on our site, and a customized bonus reading column written by our own Matt Lazowitz built around the character, creator, or theme of your choice. 
Big thanks to our first and foremost patron, Steve Morris from Shelf Dust and the MNT. You can follow WMQ Comics on Twitter and Facebook, and you can follow me on Twitter at Daniel P. Grote and Matt Lazowitz at MattLaz1013. Not a fan of social media? Sign up for our weekly Q newsletter, which gives you the best of WMQ every week in your inbox. Uh, finally, and most importantly, check out WMQComics.com for all your comics news, previews, reviews, interviews, and plain old views, and we'll see you next time. W-N-Q-A. W-N-Q-A.